Hey everyone, this is Samuel from Blue Collar Love. Just wanted to give a little note here um, at the beginning of the episode that we were fighting a lot of static here. So you'll hear a lot of beeps and bloops and other weird sounds. And um, I want to sincerely apologize. We had to record everything over Skype in order to do the interview. Also, on that note, I want to um, go ahead and thank Nick Vardero. He went ahead and did a little bit of editing for it and um, got it as clean as he could. So we really appreciate that. All right. So without further ado, um, here is our episode. Welcome to Blue Collar Love, the Starflyer retrospective. Um, my name is Samuel. This is Aaron. This is Jeff Cloud, formerly of Starflyer 59. Awesome. And so tonight is another special. We are so excited. Um, we do have the one, the only, Jeff Cloud online with us. Beyond um, excited. To, yes, to do a little, uh, little interview with us. So... Jeff, just to kind of kick us off, get us started here, um, there's, there might be those unfamiliar with how you relate to Starflyer 59, so can you tell us a little bit about um, how, uh, what you did in the band, how you joined the band, etc.? Sure. Um, you know, primarily, uh, Jason has just been my friend for a really long time, so I knew him before he was playing in that band. Um, and then as my actual role in Starflyer, um, I just basically started going on tour with him, um, just as a friend. And, um, then I was kind of selling merch for the band and then I just slowly, but surely there was like improvements that could be made for finances and for things to work smoother and better. And so I just kind of implemented those things and then. Um, as things went on, you know, Starflyer had a booking agent, but then we would spend time on the road and then we would just randomly have like like three days off in, you know, like middle America. So I felt like some of our time was being wasted. So then like slowly but surely, I just started filling in gaps um, when we had days off booking shows. And then that just kind of turned into booking all of the band's shows. Um, and then all of that just kind of led to eventually me just playing in the band. That that is sort of my how I got there. And what did you do while you were in the band? Oh well, what happened was uh, the band had just finished Americana, and um, you know, primarily all the stuff I did with them was like touring for the Gold record. Um, and so they had just finished the the Americana record, and Eric Campizano was not really available to be in the band anymore. So um, as strange as it sounds the reason I started playing bass was actually like financially. So I decided if we have one less person to pay on the road, we could all make more money. So I'll just learn how to play bass. And that's what we did. Um, that is really awesome, man. I didn't know you guys started out as a kind of the, the, the booking agent, if you will, for uh, the band. That is really cool. Yeah. It, it was just kind of happened. You know what I mean? There was never really an intention to do anything specific. It was just there was a need that needed to be filled. And uh, yeah, I'm just kind of versatile at weird stuff like that. So I would just fill in those like little holes that could be made better. That is awesome. You've known Jason for a while. Um, how did you first meet with him? Um, we 
both went to a private high school. So I think I was probably like in ninth grade, maybe. And then he um, was, I think he was in 11th grade. And so he just started at school and it was a really small school. Basically talked to him and said, hey, do you want to like hang out and eat lunch or whatever? I don't I don't remember what the deal was, but I, I just talked to him and then we just became friends. Cool. Um, so when you were in the band, you were in there from approximately uh, Americana till um, what? Leave here a stranger, give or take. Uh, um, no. Uh, well, yeah. I started playing after Americana had already been recorded, and then I was playing um, up until the Portuguese blues, basically. Okay. So during that time, how much input did you actually have in the band? Did you, uh, did you ever like bring a song that you wrote, or did you ever like uh, get arranged stuff? Um, for actual songwriting, you know, Jason is basically, you know, he's basically like the key songwriter, obviously. Um, and he generally he generally has like a song put together pretty much already, like the structure of the song, you know, generally speaking. So my input, uh, as far as songwriting, I mean, I never, like, proposed, like, uh, you know, I, I didn't bring in, like, three chords in a chorus and say, do this. I just, my my role was just kind of, um, I was always pushing to, like, make things, like, a little weirder, I guess. You know, Jason is really, like, concise, like, it's going to be a three and a half second pop song. It's, you know, verse, chorus, verse, bridge. They're really structured that way. So I was always just pushing for, like, let's do something different, let's do something super, super slow, or let's do something super, super long, or, and I think it worked well, because, you know, he was just so straight, and I was trying to do weird stuff that sometimes it would kind of just come together, and then it would make something cool. Do you have an example of that uh, time when you you went for something weird, and um, it got put on the record? Uh, record? <sighs> you know, like, when we when we first were doing, like, Traffic Jam, you know, that was just a re- just, that was just like a regular song, so I just kept pushing to make it slower and and way longer. I'm like, this thing should like be like a traffic jam. It should be like really slow and super long, and like kind of frustrating. So we ended up making it much longer. I mean, I wanted to make it like another five minutes long, but I eventually got voted. <laughs> That's awesome because I love that song. I love it so slow and. It just I love it. That's so awesome. Yeah. I love you for that. Jason, like, <laughs> like, do stuff. He's great at it. He just doesn't really do it on his own that often. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. How did that, how did that back and forth go the, so that you want out? The back and forth, like, the, from the songwriting stuff? Yeah, how did you, you, you and Jason, like you said, you have to convince him to make it longer or whatever. How did that, how did, how did that actually go about? No, it's just like the traffic jam thing. Like you know, it's just a, kind of an off the cuff example, but that that was just like something that happened in the studio. And I'm like, you know, let's just make it longer and longer and longer. You know. And he just was okay with these. Like, all right. You know, like he, so he brings the song basically, and then we kind of half learn the song. Then we go somewhere. We kind of rehearse the song. Some maybe like you know, like first heart attack, you know, there's like the kind of real weird thing at the end. So I basically just said, Hey, we should interject some weird like Pink Floyd, you know, like seventies prog rock thing in here. 
And then we kind of fiddled with it and tried it, and then that kind of came to be. It's not really like I wrote that part. It was just just an idea. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, speaking of specific songs, do you have a song from either your time in Starflyer 59 or after, before, etc., that uh, you just really like one of their songs? Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, really, from like the last from the last two records, just you know, going off newer stuff. I love the the title track of Slow, track one, and then I love the weird super slow remind me from the new record. Do you have a favorite album? Um, I you know what man, I guess I would just say the new record because that's been kind of most on my radar recently, and I've I've like listened to it a lot, and you know, doing work for it or whatever. I I mean, I just think it's a really solid record. You know what I mean? It's yeah. honestly, yeah. I, I will yeah. say it's one of my personal favorites, so I love it. Yeah. Do you have uh, like a favorite or funny Starfire 59 tour memory you would like to share? Um, man, you know what I'll do for you? Um, I, I don't know what your political leanings are, Samuel or Aaron, but I it doesn't last, matter. I watched the last couple. Like, and then I noticed, like, someone will answer them a question, and they literally don't answer. They just start talking about something else. So I'm going to employ some some of my new Democratic interview style on you guys. <laughs> Go for it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> so, funny tour memory. Um, if you don't know this, let's talk about the spice called saffron. So I'm growing the spice saffron. And uh, Mr. Martin actually does find a lot of interest in this. And then my friend Scott Hatch finds a lot of interest in this. But it is incredible. So it's this flower that, technically speaking, it's called like saffron crocus or something like that. But basically it grows and then it has two little, two little baby threads that poke out of a single flower, right? And those threads, don't quote me on this, but I think they're like to attract bees or insects or pollinization or whatever it is when you take those two threads and sometimes it's just one and then you dry them out it becomes the spice that's called saffron so saffron by weight is like the spice and it's like i technically it's like a lot more expensive than like a pound of saffron would be a lot more than like a pound of cocaine because it takes so many of the little strands so that's what's so cool about it so if I grow these flowers and like, let's say I have like 25 or 30 flowers, then I'll get like 20, like 50 or 60 of the little strands. And that will make like, like a half of a something, or maybe, maybe like a quarter of a teaspoon. And then you use that spice in food, which is awesome. And I love that tour memory. I felt like I was there. Not yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so moving along here, um, if you are at liberty at set to say, or if you even feel like it, mm -hmm. um, why did you, uh, why are you no longer with Starfire 59? Why did you initially leave the group or whatever? Um, I think I was just really busy. Uh, we had just had some differing kind of, but it wasn't really my band. It's all in Jason. You know, so, um, like if a decision was made that like I didn't really like, I didn't really have any recourse. 
You know what I mean? I mean, I guess playing. It, it had kind of run its course. Time had come. I don't know. I mean, just it is what it is, really. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I uh, totally get it. Yeah. Um, how currently? How is your relationship with Jason? Um, uh, great. I mean, we hang out all the time, and we do all kinds of stuff together. You know, it's he. He actually ended up moving. He probably lives like, gosh, I don't know, like a mile away from me or something. So we do, you know, just regular non-music stuff. We do a lot of kind of music stuff as well. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and shift gears a little bit and move out of the Starflyer 59 uh, territory, but kind of in the same family. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Velvet Blue? Um, what What is that for those that are unfamiliar? Um, what is your part in it, et cetera? Sure. Velvet Blue Music is the record label that I started when I was very young. And um, it's currently still going at a little bit slower pace right now, but still going. And we have released 192 releases, which for one kid, man, bedroom, it, it, you know. What what was the impetus to make you start the company? Um, I had I had like a friend of a friend when I was in high school. And um, his friend was a little older. So, you know, when I was like, I don't know, like 17, this guy was like probably like 21 or 22 or something. Right. And he put out a couple seven inches and it just literally like blew me away. Like, there's no way. Like, I know this guy and his friend just put out like we'd go to the record store and I'd see those. And I'd be like, this is crazy. Like this guy made these records because I would always, you know, we were always going to record stores buy and stuff. So. I don't even really remember the name of his record label, but that was pretty much the impetus of like, man, if that guy's doing it, that's what I want to do. I just want to start a record label. Okay. That's what I did. That is so cool. I've heard you say that you prefer to put out seven inches as opposed to like, like full length albums. Is that still true? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I feel like there's just so much less pressure on a, on a shorter, on a, on a single or an EP, um, financially, it doesn't make nearly as much sense. You, you do all the same amount of work for something that sells for a lot less. And, and you know, especially in today's digital world is, you know, it, three songs, digital versus 10 songs, you know what I mean? So it doesn't really make sense to do that, but I just like that. And as I was like growing up, I mean, I obviously I bought full life records a lot, but all the bands that we listen to, always release singles or EPs prior to their full lengths or in between, you know what I mean? So that's, it's, I think it's just something from growing up in that time period when I, when I bought a lot of those things. Okay. Very nice. And, um, loosely related to uh, blue velvet music, um, pony express. Can you, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that? What, um, what is this band and what is your role in it? Pony Express is if you just take a guy who is playing in a couple bands and then he's running a record label and then he's booking some bands and he's doing way too much stuff and he's like entirely too busy, then he starts trying to like put out his own music. And so that that kind of foolish guy is me. So that is just 
the band is the band is not really a band per se. It's it's just some songs that I kind of chicken scratch out, and then wh- whoever is around, basically, then we just kind of put them together and record them, and it's just something that's kind of fun and um, not not a lot of stress or worry involved in it. You know what I mean? And and the outcome of what happens is just you know it is what it is, and and no one I, I don't know no one really cares who's involved. We we. Re- we recently reviewed the first Pony Express album, and there's a little mystery as to who actually performed on that album. Can you share spill the beans on who actually performed on that album? Sure. Uh, uh, let's see. Jason is playing drums for everything, I think. And Daryl Mitchell, I think he's playing bass for... Um, if he didn't play like on every song, he played on like most every song. I, I know um, Gyro from Mortal, Full Xander or whatever. He, he had played bass on some. I remember if, if he's on that first. Um, oh, I love Gyro. Singing and you know trying to bash my way through guitar playing. Um. So while we're recording that first album, we mm-hmm. um, have a couple mysteries about some of the songs. So um, we're going to see if you can clear some of these out. Okay. So one of them was Bigger and Better. And yeah. um, the song seems to be, um, I assume you wrote all the lyrics in this first album. Uh, yes. So it appears to be um, kind of a, a bashing of a, a bigger record label. Right. Now, is this just the general pop music machine you're bashing here, or is it a specific? like record label that you're like just you have a problem with here or had a problem with back in 1998 okay so like generally in life i mean i don't really like to speak ill of anyone you know but i will make an exception for this because obviously it impacted me so much i wrote a song about it um the song is actually about seven ball magazine and oh (laughs) Ah, i remember there's some there. I mean, I, I say I don't know you, Mr. Wells. So I was referring to Chris Wells, who used to run that thing, and he just was like an absolute bastard to me when I was young and trying to do the label. And he was like no help. And um, we had this thing that was called the Blue Star Army. So it was kind of like a little Velvet Blue fan club, and you could join this thing, and then you got a little card. And you got discounts on all the releases and stuff. And, you know, I, I'd say maybe there's like 75 people doing this or something. Maybe like 100 people. Not not very many people. And then the whole idea of it was like if you were in the Blue Star Army and you lived in Columbus, Ohio, and one of our bands was playing in Columbus, Ohio, then I would, eat, I would call you or send you a letter or whatever and ask you to hang up like tour posters or call the radio station or whatever. Just things like that. You know what I mean? So at that time, being in Joy Electric and Starflyer and being involved with all these other bands, there was like always some geographic thing where someone could help us. So every couple months, I would just send out this letter to everyone in the Blue Star Army saying, like, thanks for your support. You know, these bands are going on tour. If you live here, could you do this? And, and one of those in particular was like, we would really like to see our bands featured in Seven Ball Magazine if you wouldn't mind writing a letter and letting the magazine know that you'd like to see our bands in there, that'd be great. So 
there's a couple of very sad parts of the story, and one very sad part is that Seven Ball obviously did not receive a lot of fan mail because however many people wrote there, they, like, literally noticed that so- that something was going on because they got, like, what, like 12 letters or whatever, right? <clears throat> so Chris Wells, who was the editor at the time, and this was so long ago, he actually faxed me this letter and just said, hey, whoever is in charge of your marketing department is like this bumbling idiot and a moron. Now is the other kind of sad part. It was like, like Chris, I, I don't know if you get it, but like we put out some seven inches and a couple records. We don't, we don't have a marketing department. It's just, I'm just a young guy trying to do something, you know? So he basically just went on to say he wouldn't cover the bands and people writing letters to him. Um, doesn't sway his opinion on what he's going to put in the magazine. Just all the stuff that was like actually really crushing to me at the time. Cause I'm like, man, I just, you know, I was trying to do something cool. All I wanted to do was, you know, obviously I wanted to be have my bands in your magazine. Otherwise I wouldn't have chosen to have people write to it. So that's basically the story. And then in the end, you know, his magazine basically failed and he failed and it was just kind of a joke, but I, it, but, it, but it always, like irritated me that, that someone would treat someone younger like in that fashion you know what i mean so, so the yeah absolutely are basically oh, wow. like very factual you know what i mean i got you i have a question about the uh, next album a song from the next album we haven't reviewed yet if you're at liberty share what you can or not um when you were everyone um before you were everyone's on the monkey hearts ep album yeah Okay, so everyone's, we can get to that, but you guys ever been to the central coast of California? No, I have not. Okay. I have been up to Sacramento, that's about it. Okay, so so much farther south from that, maybe like, you know, if you went like three hours north of LA, you would end up in, it, it's kind of a little north of Santa Barbara, they call it Santa Inez, there's a weird little Dutch town called Solvang, but anyways, that's kind of like wine country. And it's just wide open expanses and super nice. So they have a restaurant there, which is like literally my favorite restaurant. And it's called the Hitching Post. But it's not the Hitching Post 1. It's the Hitching Post 2. So they're kind of famous for Santa Maria style barbecue, which is basically like red oak coals. And then they have a big grill. And the guy uses a hand crank and he lowers or raises this thing. And then everything in the whole restaurant is cooked on that grill which is absolutely fantastic. And so it used to be a very quiet little quaint place to go and it was fun. And then they, they made that movie called sideways like 10 years ago about wine country or whatever. Yeah. The restaurants in the lot. And then ever since that happened, like now it's really crowded and hard to get in there, but it is still totally worth seeking out and going to. Really? That's what that's very nice. I got something completely different, which I was sharing when we reviewed that album. That's crazy. Okay. All right. So, um, speaking of your songwriting, um, how uh, how has your um, religious beliefs inspired your songwriting in the past, and does it still to the at all nowadays? Um. Yeah. I mean, who you are is who you are. You know what I mean. So. Yeah, of course it influences, I guess, my songwriting or, you know, it just basically influences your your life in general, right? So, 
it's kind of hard to separate those two things. I mean, I've often said that like a Christian painter doesn't have to paint a cross. You know, he can still paint a boat, but you know, if, if that guy has things in his life, they're, they're going to be reflected in his work. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a direct correlation, I guess is all I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's absolutely. It's a, the old thing of, um, if it's just part of who you are, who you are will eventually shine through one way or the other. Like, let's say, talking to anyone, let's just say generally you smoke meth, okay? As a general rule of thumb, your friends probably are going to smoke meth too. And then other people you know probably smoke meth or sell meth or could get meth. It, whatever circle you're in, it's very rare that there's some total oddball, odd man guy who doesn't have a lot of core beliefs with your circle. You know what I mean? So, so for me, being like having faith, many, many people in the circle that I run in or do my things in have faith as well. It's kind of by default. It's just kind of a natural thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, going back to something you mentioned earlier um, about how when, when you um, was on tour with Jason, um, you ran the merch, get booking and stuff. It, was that like the seeds that um, um, led to you founding Velvet Blue Music? Um, I don't remember the time frame exactly that well. Um, no, it it wasn't. I mean, I had the I had the the idea to do the label, you know, way way before, like when I was in high school. Really, it didn't. No, it didn't really that fair enough and um you mentioned earlier you know when you was touring you was touring with both starfire 59 joy electric um, possibly some other bands so did you ever run into some uh issues where you're being stretched uh 10 different ways trying to tour three different bands and trying to run a record label and do whatever in your personal life yeah um i did I mean, it was it was difficult because I was young and I was kind of newly married. So I don't know. I guess I can look at it two ways. Like I was gone a lot. I, I always say like, you know, like our first 10 years of marriage, you know, I was probably married like four years because I was gone the majority of the time, you know. But I don't know. I mean, I'm still married today. So I, I've made it like almost a quarter century so I, I don't know. I, it, it was difficult, but then it was just a job kind of, you know, like if you're a long distance trucker, you're going to be gone. Or if you if you are in the military for four years, you're going to be gone a lot. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like some like totally awful thing. There, there was sometimes I would be burned out like, you know, because both bands actually toured pretty often. Um, I mean, I know they don't now, but I mean, during the, the time I would I would go out for like 15, 16, 17 days with one band. And I would come home for like maybe like a week and then I would go out again for like 20 days or 24 days or whatever. And then by the time I got back from that one, then there was going to be like four, a short run of like four shows or going up the coast and playing four shows. It was just always busy, basically. But but um, in a way, I guess I never I never regretted it or hated it. You know what I mean? Before we let you go, I have two questions that I'll kill myself. I just remember if, okay. if I ask. Um, I read in an interview like a while ago that there's something called a Pedro the Monkey 7 that's supposed to be coming out. Do you remember that? Um, 
I mean, I think it was just a joke. I don't, I don't, and no, there's not really one. Um, what was the, what was that about? Was it supposed to be something? Um, I, to be, I really don't know, honestly. Okay. Um, all right. Actually, that was the only question I had to ask. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, well, um, do you have any uh, music that you're currently either making, listening to, new bands or artists, yourself, etc., that you would like to give a shout out to that for all, you know, 100 people that actually listen to this, that you're like, hey, you should listen to this right now? Yeah, sure. So my, my shout out would be like the new Map EP, which I'm pretty much just in love with. Um, and then I would just go with sort of an older shout out to this band called Soda Shop. And we put out their record. It's like one of my favorite records we've ever put out. And it just never seemed to get the attention that I wanted it to. So those are my two shout outs. Um, anything you want to share? Anything Saffron related or anything at all? Yes. I Lots of things to talk about. I know. Well, listen, I know Dooley recently, right? Yes. That was yes, that. we did. Was that fun? It was very, um, that was very enlightening. He's a really cool dude. I mean, he was, more, I mean, very, I mean, he was more deep than I could have imagined. Great guy. Why do you ask? He is a great guy. Because I feel like somewhat confident Julie might listen to this, so I want to tell you a story about him. Go okay, on. go for it. So I have a boat now, which is awesome, and I love it, but I used to have a really big boat. And it had like a down below section with like a, like a refrigerator and a bathroom and all this stuff. Like it, it was kind of like big. And so Dooley, me and Dooley would take the boat out. There's a little island off our coast called Catalina. And, and um, it takes about an hour to get there or whatever. So me and Dooley would go. We would hang out all day. We Sometimes we would fish. Like we don't really know what we're doing. But and then sometimes we'd go to the island, try to eat lunch, do whatever. And Dooley is really paranoid about be, becoming seasick so he would always take these things called dramamine that are supposed to make you not get seasick or, or have nausea but the side effect is they really like it's like a downer like you it really makes you sleepy and then Dooley, being his own paranoid self he wouldn't take like one he would take like two or like two and a half of them okay so by the time we got to the island Sometimes he would be like a total zombie. I mean, he was so happy to be there and we were having a great time, but he'd be like, Cloud, like, I just have to like shut my eyes for like 20 minutes or whatever. So one time we make it over there and we're hanging out and stuff. And I think what he did, I, you'd have to ask him, but I think what he did is I think he took one bonus one because we, we were going to head back, right? So we get in the boat and I'm like, man, I said, Dooley, we got to get going because... Um, the weather is like sort of turning and, and at our house on the on the west coast like around like two or three o'clock sometimes the wind starts to pick up and then and then if you have a big swell it's like very uncomfortable and bouncy and stuff so we start heading back and um where i sat like in the captain's seat i'm looking forward and in the old boat there was like a recliner um next to me to my left but it faced backwards okay and you could kind of like lounge and recline in this thing so Dooley is in this recliner thing talking about what a great day he had and how awesome it is we're heading out 
I'm seeing that the weather is just like looking for, but I don't want to tell Dooley because I'm like, man, I'm not, I don't want to make the guy nervous. Like, we'll just go for it. So we are just like literally just bashing through all these waves. And like, I am, I am starting to get paranoid. Like, man, this is like really rough seas. Like I've never really been anything like this before. So I'm going and going and Dooley's, you know, not even looking at what's ahead of us, which is so crazy. And he'd lean over and, you know, he's just Dooley. So he'd be like, Cloud, you know what would be weird? What if, like, and Big Mouth strikes again? What if they used a diminished chord? Like, what if they did this? He's, like, talking to me. And I'm like, man, I, I, I honestly can't, I can't really even talk to him because I'm, like, so, like, just hanging on to the steering wheel, being all paranoid. And because he was, like, zombie guy, he would occasionally kind of doze off, right? So he's over there sleeping, and we are just, like, going off huge waves. And the thing is crashing water is just pouring over the front of the boat and i would duck beneath like the windshield but like water would spray like over our heads and Dooley was just over there like, kind of being zombie guy He'd wake up every now and then talk to me about something weird and i just never said anything to him and then when we finally got back to like the safety of the harbor i was like so extremely happy to have made it because some some of the waves were so big that when we would go down them it was, con- it was almost like you were surfing, and then sometimes like the back of the boat w- w- would would kick out in a weird direction that I wasn't trying to do, you know, and it was kind of a big boat. So when we finally get back um, in the harbor, you have to slow down for like five miles an hour to like, you know, not make wakes or whatever. And so when we, we get to the harbor and I like, throttle back and we're going slow and Dooley just looks over at me, kind of wakes up. He's like, oh, hey, hey, Cloudsy. So, so we're already back? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, man, he's like, that was great. That wasn't really that bad at all. Like, it just went by so fast. Like, great. I really, really enjoyed that. And I was like, this is the craziest thing ever. Like, I had actually been totally scared for the entire ride. And to this day, I never told Dooley of that. So he's going to hear it now. <laughs> <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news here. <laughs> yeah. It was, he was 100% oblivious to, like, <laughs> chaos and like pure fear that I had (laughs) that's great I did remember the one question um which has nothing to do with the story that you just expertly told and it was very great um but I remember reading something about how um Starfire got picked up by EMI because the booking agent there was a fan of Starfire is that is that correct um no no not really we ended up getting distributed from EMI because Tooth and Nail eventually kind of became owned by EMI. The booking agent we had um, was from a really super nice booking agency and it was cool, but um, uh, yeah, no, no like correlation to EMI. Oh, okay. All right. That's a great story. <laughs> that was a great story. I loved it. Survive. <laughs> All right. Um, well, do you have uh, any uh, last questions, comments, concerns, words of wisdom? If anyone who old vinyl re- that we felt kind of unhappy. Oh, so you're saying that you feel bad about the vinyl, the gold vinyl release uh, reissue? Nothing to do with it as label. Yeah. Still, you know what I mean. The we, fire took care of it. God took care of it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, 
Jeff, I have one last question for you, and then we will let you go in peace and uh, go about your life. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Hmm. I don't think I really ever. I don't know. I don't really think I ever had a. I didn't really ever have an aspiration. Honestly, I mean, I didn't. This guy. I don't know. That I guess California attitude. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have an answer. Fair enough, no. All right, well, once again, thank you so much for your time. It has been an honor and a privilege. It's been Um, been very great. Please get another Pony Express album together. Jeff, what are you doing? For all those listening, as always, um, this has been a a Brothers King Media production. Have a good night. Good night. Talk to you later. Bye.